following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Uh, glad you're here uh, and glad you're joining us. Uh, sad news, we just heard yesterday that they're extending all of this um, restrictions for the indefinite Unforeseen future, so we'll be meeting this way on Facebook uh, for at least a few more weeks, uh, it looks like. So we're glad you're here, and uh, we want to look at the Word together and worship together. Uh, We really value that we can do this time live because uh, even though we're spread out, we are coming together in this one moment together with our hearts joined together to praise God and worship Him. And so so it's important, uh, not because... Uh, we're the audience, but because God is the audience and we are doing this for him. Uh, so we want to look this morning in um, uh, Matthew chapter 24, appropriate title, Waiting, Waiting for COVID to get over, Waiting for the world to change, Waiting for a lot of things. Uh, the context here, of course, is Waiting for Jesus' return. And we are all uh, waiting uh, for Jesus to come back. And uh, the harder life gets, the more we anticipate his coming. So let's read... Uh, Picking up really in the middle of uh, the last couple of weeks that we've been looking at Jesus' sermon, or uh, it's called the Discourse Teaching, on his return. Uh, so we'll be looking this, this morning in Matthew 24, uh, beginning with verse uh, 36. Matthew 24, verse 36. Let's read. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. As were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let this house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, You know, we are really, uh, I think, all part of human nature. We are all fascinated with uh, wanting to know the future. Uh, And certainly, I, I think right now, I would love to know the future of COVID. Like, when is this all going to end? 
When are we going to be able to resume like normal life? And throughout history, there have been fortune tellers and uh, crystal balls and prophets and even weather apps <laughs> um, that give us the promise of knowing what's going to happen next and what the future is. And of course, Christians are no less concerned or worried about this. Uh, the, what's going to happen? And, and, and of course, Scripture points to uh, events coming uh, surrounding the end of the age and, and the return of Christ. And we as Christians are looking forward to those uh, that, that time. Uh, uh, it's interesting, and I think significant, that uh, the most requested, you know, I, I have people say, when are you going to preach on this book, that book? And uh, believe it or not, the most requested book is not the book of Leviticus. Right? In fact, I've never had anybody say, hey, let's preach through Leviticus again. That was so good. Um, or First Chronicles, right? That's history, and anybody can read that. That's, that's not where our, what piques our interest often. No, of course, you know, the book that I am most frequently asked about when I'm going to preach is the book of Revelation, right? And uh, in part because it is a hard book to understand, and people would like to have maybe more clarity. But there's also a sense that we, we want to know what's coming next. Uh, what, what, what are the end times, and how will it unfold? Um, so, so the fact that we want to know the, the future is one thing, but really, uh, if we could be honest and, and just think about this for a minute, a good question to reflect on is, why do I want to know the future? And of course, each of us would have our own answers, and I don't presume to be able to tell you why you want to know the future. Um, but, but here's some options, here's some possibilities for you to consider. One, it might be that you are just curious. And certainly, the unknown, the future is a huge unknown, and uh, and it's hard for us to deal with the unknown, right? Uh, anytime there's a closed door, we want to know what's on the other side. Our curiosity draws us to that. And uh, there's nothing more unknown than the future. And, of course, the farther it is away, like we kind of know what might happen tomorrow, but the farther, uh, more distant the future is, the more unknown it becomes. And so uh, we're curious about it. We want to know. Uh, but I think there's also, uh, for many of us, perhaps, a uh, uh, a desire, a need to know about the future, because uh, there's a sense of control and security if we knew what was going to happen next, right? Uh, if I knew for certain that uh, uh, there was some danger coming, um, I could perhaps prepare for it. I mean, I could plan for it. In fact, there's a sense that if I knew what was coming, I could maybe even uh, change history, Right? That I could, I could rearrange my life and I could reorchestrate things so that I could prevent that coming event. Right? So, so if I knew, for example, that I was absolutely heading for a heart attack in six months and four days, I might start eating differently now. Right? I might start exercising more. I might do things that, uh, that could prevent or delay that event. Right? So I would have some sense of control uh, and maybe even a sense of sovereignty over the future if I knew what it was. Uh, I could change the course of history if I knew what it was. And so maybe underlying for some of us anyway, uh, that's really why we want to know, because we, we want some sense of control, that I can govern it. But Scripture is clear that God holds the future. right? God alone knows. He is sovereign over history past, but he's sovereign over what will come. And it's an act of faith to trust God with our future. He is in control of what happens next, um, not us. 
so, so since God's in control, since he holds the future, does that mean we just passively go along and just take it as it comes? That we just accept everything on the road ahead and we have no say or no control that we can do nothing to prepare for the future? Well, uh, in passages that, like this that we're looking at today, Jesus makes it clear that, yeah, we can't know specific things about the future. Uh, we can't know the time of his return specifically. Um, and there's some warning here not to try to figure it out, actually, that we'll see. But it doesn't mean that we can't be prepared. It doesn't mean that there's nothing we should, should do or can do to be ready for the future. Uh, and Jesus is going to, in this next section, in, in chapter 25, we'll look at next week as well, show us how we can be preparing for the future, even though we may not know exactly what and when things will happen. So I've titled this sermon, uh, What Are You Waiting For? What are you waiting for? You can probably see it on your screen. What are you waiting for? And I like this title because it's kind of clever because it has two meanings, right? Uh, somebody could be sitting, uh, standing alongside the road and they're waiting. And you may ask, well, what, what are you waiting for? You look like you're waiting for something. What exactly or who are you waiting for? Right? That would be one sense of the meaning, one meaning of the, that phrase. Um, but it could also mean, what are you waiting for? Like stop standing there and get, get busy. Right? And that's kind of a, a subtle English uh, twist of this idiom. Uh, what are you waiting for? Get to work. Don't just stand there. And uh, I think in this, in this passage, Jesus is actually telling both. He's asking the question, what are you waiting for? Who are you waiting for? But also, what are you waiting for? Don't just stand there. So let's, uh, let's unpack it a little bit. Um, uh, and... and uh, First principle, he starts off with, uh, pretty straightforward, this is not hard to understand. Uh, Jesus says it plain out, there's no mystery. He's not, he's not wrapping these words in some kind of parable. He just says straight out, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Okay, a lot in that verse... Uh, uh, even though it's easy to understand, but let's look at some, some things that are important. First, the word but. Um, this is not the typical uh, Greek, Greek phrase to, uh, to show contrast. Uh, it's actually two words put together that, that um, signifies a significant change in the subject or topic. Right? So, so what Jesus is doing here is he's making clear that this is a break from all the stuff that he's talked about before. Uh, we looked last week that... Pre- Primarily, what he was looking at was the first question that the disciples asked. And, we, and so we probably need to go back and review the question. Uh, Matthew 24, 1, 2, 3 uh, reminds us of how this whole topic or conversation got started. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be one stone left upon another that will not be thrown down. So Jesus predicts, prophesies the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, And then later, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? Specifically, the destruction of the temple. And what will be the sign of your coming, the end of the age? Uh, And it's likely that the disciples saw these as one event, that the destruction of the temple the end of the age and the coming of Christ would be one glorious event uh, that in the Old Testament is the day of the Lord. Right? 
Uh, so Jesus has spent up to verse 36, one through 35, answering really the first question about the destruction of the temple, and that has been his focus primarily. And uh, so now he's, he's indicating that he's shifting gears, and he's now looking at the second question, the second part, uh, which is when will, these, when will be the sign of your coming? What will be the signs of the end of the age? And then Jesus' answer is simple, simply this, there is no sign. Right? There is no sign. Uh, you cannot know. No one will know uh, when Jesus, when he returns. Uh, there will be no indicators marking uh, his imminent or soon return. Uh, unlike the temple, uh, where there were, there were symbols. There was a sign that would indicate the destruction of the temple. But Jesus says for his return, no one knows. No one knows. Not even the angels uh, who were uh, in counsel with God. But even more significantly, Jesus says, I don't even know. Right? He says, the Son doesn't know. And it's implied here, the Son of God. Uh, Jesus is saying, I, I don't even know. It is something that is held with the Father alone. Uh, and this is a, a good proof of Jesus' incarnation. We believe Jesus is eternal God, uh, who has uh, all the attributes of God, including, including omniscience, that Jesus uh, as the eternal Son of God, knew and knows all things. But here, in his incarnate being, taking on human flesh, uh, Jesus really did live like us. He laid aside much of that power and much of those um, abilities, right? And one of those he laid aside is he, he's not all-knowing, right? And the Holy Spirit, clearly throughout the Gospels, has been revealing things to Christ. But one of the things that the Father has not revealed to him is the timing or the events leading up to his return, right? Uh, he says the day and the hour, the specific details of his coming are cloaked in darkness. Uh, and by the way, it doesn't mean, he's not saying here that, well, you don't know the day and the hour, but if you're really bright, you could figure out the month and the year, right? Not what he's saying, right? He's saying, no, uh, it's, it's beyond knowing. This is information that is hidden from, uh, from us, from, from human beings and even from the Son himself. Uh, so first off, it's important to see that it is unknown. But not only that, not only is it unknown, but Jesus also says that it will be very unexpected. Right? Very unexpected. And he, does, uh, he talks about that by sharing two illustrations or examples. Uh, so, so not only can we not know when Jesus is returned, but when he comes, Jesus is saying through these uh, pictures that it will be a huge surprise. Right? Nobody's going to be anticipating it. No one, uh, no one will be saying, oh, well, it's going to happen uh, anytime because these signs have been fulfilled. Uh, he says it's, he's going to come at a time when, when nobody's expecting, right? when, when we will be caught off guard, uh, so to speak. And he, he gives two examples to illustrate the sense of, of, of not expecting, the this, this sense of it coming suddenly and catching us unaware. The first example is from the days of Noah. He says, as we're in the days of Noah, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Uh, for as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. So it's going to be just like the days of Noah. Life is going to be going on as usual. 
right? People will be quarantining. People will be spending for. Oh wait, no, that's not normal, right? That's not normal. Uh, so, so, uh, but he's saying here that it will be normal. It will be a normal everyday existence, right? Uh, people will be eating and drinking and getting married and having parties and celebrating life events, right? And it will come. He says it, it comes on them unaware. The flood came on them unaware. No one knew uh, it was coming. Uh, now, of course, that's not completely true. Uh, because we know that uh, Jonah was out there warning them, right? Uh, Jonah. No, wrong story. Noah, not Jonah. Noah was warning them. One of those Old Testament dead guys. Uh, was warning them, right? Uh, saying, prepare because judgment is coming. But, but Noah didn't know the time, right? And Noah didn't say, you have three months, you have three weeks, you have three days, no, Noah was just preaching, God's judgment is coming on this wicked generation. Get ready, be prepared. But no one knew when. And of course, they didn't believe uh, Noah, and it caught them unaware. And even Noah himself didn't know until the day God said, get in the ark and close the door. Right? It caught them off guard, and judgment swept them away. And he says, Jesus says, the coming of the Son of Man will be just like that. Right? There's not going to be any sense that we're like, oh, it's going to happen soon. I can just feel it because there's some sign uh, indicating the time is now. Right? It will come unexpectedly. Then he gives another illustration, uh, two examples actually, but with the same theme. Verse 40, then two men will be in a field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two, men, two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Um, and uh, very, very familiar verses, and we have, you know, we've written songs about this. Uh, Life is filled with guns and war. Uh, everything got trampled on the floor. Uh, anyway, it talks about one, one's taken away and one is left, right? And, and we worry uh, about where they're taken, right? And we build whole theologies on where they went, right? And uh, some people say the taken one was taken, you know, Jesus returned, and they were raptured, and they went to be with Jesus. Others say, no, no, it's actually the bad guys who were taken. And, and Jesus' children are left, and, and they're taken away into judgment. Uh, in the context, given the uh, story of Noah, it seems that being swept away into final judgment may be more likely. Uh, but, but really, that's not the point, right? The point isn't where they went. The point is this. There is an instant moment of separation. An instant eternal moment of separating. And just like that, just like in the daily events of life, of, of working in the field, of doing their jobs, of, of grinding, flour, uh, grinding grain into flour, in a split second, there is an eternal, permanent separation that takes place. Uh, what is clear is that each faces a different fate. right? Each faces a different destiny, whatever it is. And they, there is... Uh, the separating that comes on them suddenly and without warning, and that they do not expect. So Jesus' Jesus' point is simply this, uh, and it's important for us to 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 uh, really slow down and make sure we understand this, because we say the words quickly, but I don't know that we really get it. Jesus' point is this: you cannot know when he's returning. And you cannot figure it out. It will be at a time when no one is expecting. Uh, he says there will be no warning signs. 
Uh, there will be nothing indicating that his coming is right at hand. He says it will be unknown and unexpected. Uh, but, that, but that raises a problem, okay? And if you know much about the Bible and if you've read uh, books like Revelation, you know that um, actually further revelation seems to indicate there will, be in, will in fact be signs uh, indicating that his return is near. Uh, you can look at books like Second Thessalonians, the, the whole book of Revelation, passages like Daniel and, and some of the other Old Testament minor prophets that would indicate that there are events that must take place before this great day of the Lord, before Jesus returns. Uh, and uh, if we could sum, summarize uh, those main teachings, uh, here are some of the things that it, it seems need to take place before Jesus, in fact, returns. And uh, I am uh, borrowing from uh, Wayne Grudem, who summarized them well in his, in his uh, theology. Uh, but let me just run through them quickly. Uh, one uh, event that uh, seems to be required before Jesus comes is the preaching of the gospel to all nations and all languages and tongues. Uh, the Bible seems to indicate that that will happen before Jesus returns. Um, a time of great tribulation. Uh, and, and some have got very elaborate uh, schemes about how many days and years and some very exact timetables about how long this tribulation will last. Uh, another thing that seems uh, required is prophets working great signs, false prophets working great signs and wonders. False prophets doing Extraordinary miracles that catch people's attention and deceives them. Uh, fifth thing, signs in the heavens. And we saw that last week. Uh, the sun being darkened and the moon darkened and stars falling from the sky. Uh, some would say those things need to happen before Jesus comes. And, and certainly, if there's any sign that would be an indicator, uh, if the news came out tomorrow that the sun has decreased its output of light by 50%, like... That, would, that seems like that would be a sign, right? If uh, science said, hey, one-third of the stars just fell from the sky. We've lost them. We'd be like, oh, yeah, the Bible said that, right? That must mean Jesus is coming soon. Um, sixth thing, the coming of the Son of Man. Uh, I'm sorry, the coming of the man of sin and rebellion. Uh, also, Paul talks about this, this, uh, this man of sin will be revealed before Christ. Uh, and when he comes, he will destroy this, this man. Uh, Revelation and John will talk about this, this figure of a beast or the Antichrist in Revelation 13 and, and 1 John 2. Right? So, so uh, it seems that there's going to be this ruler of evil or this person of great influence uh, with great sin and, and, and rejection and, and a, a, a type of Antichrist. And finally, the Bible speaks of... of the salvation of Israel, that, that many of uh, the children of Israel will return and become followers of Christ. They will acknowledge Jesus as Lord and Messiah all before he comes. Uh, so, so how will we make of this? Jesus says you can't know, and it's unexpected he could come at any time. Uh, but we've got these, these passages in Scripture that seem to indicate that, uh, that there will be some significant events that need to take place before Jesus can return. So that, in fact, uh, Jesus couldn't return at any time. Uh, he couldn't return today because all the, all the nations have still not heard, heard the gospel, because the Jews have not, in a, in a large number, returned to Christ, because the stars are still shining, and so is the sun. Therefore, he could not come today, and probably not in the next 
uh, many years, perhaps, right? So, so what do we do with that? Um, uh, to make matters worse, theologians have taken these passages and these, these uh, sections of Scripture, and they've built very elaborate theologies, complete with charts and timelines. And, of course, everybody knows that um, if you've created a chart and a timeline, I mean, this is authoritative, right? This is, this is the biblical truth if you've created a chart. And they've done that, right? They have charts, they have timelines. And, and um, uh, the result is that in many the- theological systems about the end times, they would say, well, sure, we don't know when Jesus is coming. We cannot know for certain when he will come. But we do know when he could not come, right? We know, and we know that he could not come yet. Uh, He could not come now because uh, we have a timeline and we have a chart. And I'm telling you, the timeline hasn't got there yet because there are some events that need to happen first, right? So how do we solve this problem? Jesus versus the theologians, right? Jesus versus apparently the rest of Scripture, further revelation. How do we we solve this? Uh, Jesus clearly says, you cannot know. And and he's going to come at a time not only that you do not know, but it will be at a time when you aren't expecting it. You aren't expecting it. You're not ready because there are no signs marking it. But theologians say, well, there are signs. There are events. There are things that will happen, and we have a timeline to prove it. Um, Maybe Jesus didn't know, but we figured it out, right? Uh, Jesus may not have been that bright, but with further revelation, we've outdone Jesus, And we know, and we have the charts and timelines to prove it. Well, I don't know about you, but uh, if it it comes to choosing between Jesus and the theologians, I'm going with Jesus, right? Um, uh, And and here's the problem. It is true that further revelation indicates that certain events will take place before Jesus' return. We listed them, right? And if you look at those, uh, they seem to imply uh, that these things must take place before Jesus' return. But, but here's the problem. None of these signs or, or our understanding of these passages is so universally clear that even a small majority of theologians agrees on them. Right? We, we don't have a clear... Like, we've got our timelines, but nobody's agreed on one. Right? Nobody has uh, agreed on a clear... Uh, plan for the future that that the majority of evangelical Christians would buy into or subscribe to or agree with, right? Uh, There are vastly different views of how these passages get interpreted. Uh, If you want to side with the theologians, you you have a difficult challenge ahead of you because you have to pick between literally dozens, if not hundreds, of options of which timeline is correct, Right? Uh, and they're, they're all drastically different. You've got pre-trip, post-trip, mid-trip, pre-mill, post-mill, all-mill, no-mill, all-mill, lots of mills. Right? I, I don't even know what all those words mean. Right? Uh, and they all are very different ways of explaining these incoming events. Uh, there's no real consensus. There's no majority view. And just to illustrate this, and I say this kind of with uh, a bit of caution, but last Sunday uh, uh, we talked about uh, this, this difficult passage in verses 29 to 35 that talks about Jesus coming, right? And, and in that passage, a number of these signs that we talked about are mentioned. 
In verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give us light and the stars will fall from the heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in the heaven the Son of Man and then all the tribes of the earth will, be, will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Right? Uh, and, and I shared uh, a view, uh, an explanation of those, those events um, that, that says those things really were prerequisites, were signs leading up to the destruction of the temple. Right? And we had uh, a listener, I won't, I won't name her, but her initials are Jessica, who kindly pointed out that uh, that's very controversial. And she's right, it is super controversial. Uh, I, I, I would agree with her 100%. And Jessica, if you're listening, I'm sorry I have to pick on you, but I agree. It is super controversial. The one thing I would disagree with it is that my sermon was controversial. It's, don't, don't blame me. I'm just the messenger, right? Jesus is the one who's controversial, right? Uh, Jesus is the one who gave us these words that are actually very unclear. And the reality is that, that many people who love the Bible and hold to a very similar way of interpreting Scripture, can look at these exact same verses and come up with very different interpretations and meanings. Right? Uh, And we're not talking about people who who don't hold our view of Scripture. We're talking about people who, in most other areas of theology, would be in agreement. But when it comes to end times, we we can't agree. Right? We, We don't have a clear, unified, universal sense of, like, this is the general way it's going to go down. Uh, All of our timelines contradict each other. And and why is it so controversial or confusing? Well, that's exactly Jesus' point here. You can't know. That's what Jesus is saying. You can't know. You can't figure it out. And, And basically what Jesus is saying here is, look, you've got your timelines. I'm telling you, they're all wrong. Right? They're all wrong. Uh, Now, it doesn't mean we shouldn't look at these things, and it doesn't mean we shouldn't try to have answers, and it doesn't mean that there there will not be some events that uh, that will happen before Jesus comes, right? But but Jesus is saying here, look, we can't be confident about what any of those events look like, or that they've happened or haven't happened, or we cannot be confident about our understanding of those things. That's exactly his point here. And I'm, I'm, I'm not going to side with the theologians with this one. I'm going to side with Jesus. And I'm going to say, look, whatever we think or, or we think we think or we think we know, the truth is Jesus is going to come at a time when we do not know and a time when we are not expecting. Uh, we, uh, we have to accept that we don't have this figured out. And not only can Jesus, uh, not only can we not figure out when Jesus will come, but we can't really know for certain when he won't come, right? Jesus is saying, you can't know. You, you have to know that uh, it's exactly at that time when you think he won't come, that he's going to come, right? When you're not expecting it, that's when it's going to happen, right? Um, so, so, uh, so Jesus' point here and his, his instruction to us is pretty simple. Uh, our task is not to figure out the end times, right? Jesus is not saying here, what you need to do is you need to go out and you need to really study hard and study these verses so that you can know when this is all going to happen. Jesus says, no, it's not possible. He says, it is not your job to figure it out. It is not your job to worry about when. 
Rather, it is your job to know how to live while you are waiting. Right? How do you live your life in this in-between season while we wait for his return? And, and Jesus actually implies here that it won't be quick, that there will be a delay, um, that it won't be as soon perhaps as the disciples thought. Uh, but that delay should never be an excuse for getting lazy or for not being prepared for his unexpected arrival. Uh, and so Jesus uh, gives us some, some application points here. In verse 42, he says, uh, he actually gives us two therefores. Okay, in light of this truth, therefore there's, there's some things you need to do to uh, make sure you are ready. And the first way he says, therefore, verse 42, stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. All right, so first thing he says, you need to be vigilant. You need to be awake. Uh, you need to be uh, on the lookout every day expecting uh, his return. Now, now this doesn't mean, as, as some have done, this doesn't mean you sell all your belongings and you go up on top of Doisy Tap and you look to the clouds and you say, okay, Jesus, I'm awake and I'm waiting. Right? And you wait all day and you wait all night and you wait the next day, you don't sleep and you're looking for Jesus to come. That's not what he means, right? And, and we'll see in a minute what he means by waiting, what he means by being awake. But the point here is that since you don't know, you need to be constantly on the alert, constantly expecting it at any time. That's his point. That I could come at any moment, and so you should be awake. You should be alert. You should be expecting my return at any moment. Second, therefore, verse 44, therefore, you, must also, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. He says it twice. Uh, you don't expect it. It's coming when you are not going to be ready. So be prepared. Right? Back to my example about a heart attack. Like, there's two ways to look at this. One, I could say, well, if I knew in, in five years I'm going to have a heart attack, I could, I could prepare for it. Or you could have this expectation. I'm getting older. I don't always eat the best. I should just plan on it, right? I don't know if it's going to happen or not, but uh, let's pretend that it is in my future, and maybe I need to prepare now. Like, maybe I need every day to start eating smarter, and being more careful with my health and taking care of myself because I don't know if it's in the future for me or not, right? Uh, now, Jesus is going to actually uh, spell out what this looks like in the next parable and all the way through chapter 25. And he's going to, he's going to talk about in detail what it means and what it looks like to be prepared. Uh, but let me summarize all of these parables. We're not going to look at them all. We're going to uh, look at them over the next couple of weeks. But if I could summarize it, I could summarize it this way. Being vigilant is being diligent. Say that ten times. <laughs> being vigilant is being diligent. Right? Uh, the way that we stay awake, the way that we prepare, is by being diligent in how we live our life, in our service to God, in our, our faithfulness to Him. And the way we love other people. Uh, 
living here and now with eternal purpose and eternal vision, knowing that he could come at any time. Uh, so, uh, so let's look briefly in closing at this at one of the parables he gives, the next one. Uh, and we're not going to go through it in, in, in great detail, but uh, let me just sum it up this way. Uh, he says, who then is the faithful and wise servant? And he contrasts here two servants, a faithful and wise servant and a wicked servant. He says, the, the faithful servant is the one whom his master has set over his household. So he has jobs. He has responsibilities and duties. And his duty is to give, uh, give, them, uh, give the household their food at the proper time. So he's kind of the house steward, and it pictures a, a wealthy homeowner who has a whole staff of servants. And this particular steward's job is to feed the family, and to feed the work crew. And at their proper time, he is to provide and care for them uh, with their needed food. And he says, he says, it's awesome. This is great. This uh, servant uh, who the master finds doing his job, fulfilling his responsibilities, caring for people. Um, and in fact, he says, this, this one will be blessed. Blessed is that servant. Uh, truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. It's a good thing. He's going to show up. And this guy's going to be ready, not because he was standing at the door looking for the master, but because he was diligently doing his job. He was taking care of his responsibilities, and he was caring for others. But he contrasts that uh, with a wicked servant. He says, uh, uh, in verse 48, But if that wicked servant says to himself, My master is delayed. And underline that word delayed. Right? The first error of the unwise servant is he assumed that it couldn't happen yet. Right? He assumed it couldn't come today. Right? Because other things have to happen. And he's not coming back yet. He is delayed. And he's counting on that delay. Uh, so he says, my master is delayed, and he begins to beat his fellow servants. And he eats and drinks with drunkards. And the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And at an hour, he does not know. There's those words again. He doesn't know when he's coming, and he's not expecting it. And he will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, this person uh, takes license because he assumes the master can't come back yet. Okay, because he's got a theology worked out that says, oh, well, I don't know when he's coming, but I know he's not coming today. I, I know he's not coming soon because I have a timeline, and I know. And because of this delay... Uh, it gives him license to start living selfishly and procrastinating in carrying out his duties. Now, most of us don't want to identify ourselves with this wicked servant uh, because we're not beating people up. Uh, we're not going to the bars. We're not getting drunk, right? But here's the warning that Jesus gives, right? What this servant did that was wrong is he lived selfishly and he put off fulfilling his obligations and his duties, Right? We may not be beating people up, but the question we must ask ourselves is, uh, am I procrastinating doing the things I know I'm supposed to be doing? 
Because I've lulled myself asleep with this thinking that, well, Jesus is not coming back today. Right? And maybe we subtly have let some of these theologies and, and timelines uh, create in our thinking, back, back in the back burner somewhere, back in our minds, this idea that, well, Jesus is coming, maybe soon, but it really couldn't be today because uh, I've got a timeline, right? His, his, his coming is certainly delayed. And so we procrastinate. And maybe we're not completely unfaithful, but we're also not super diligent, right? We're not really taking care of those people around us like we could. We let selfishness creep into our life, and we worry more about me than about those people I'm supposed to be caring for and loving and taking care of, uh, those that I'm supposed to be feeding. And I had this, uh, this subtle lie from Satan that says, I, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do better next week. Like, I know I'm not really living my whole spiritual life the way I should be today, but that's okay because I have time. It will get better. I'll, I'll do better next week, next month. After COVID, right? After COVID, certainly I'm going to get a handle on this, but it's hard now. After my children grow up and, and I'm not so distracted by babies screaming all the time, then I'll start doing what God wants me to. Right? It's easy to procrastinate if we're convinced that we have time because there is a delay. And that's exactly what Jesus is teaching against in this passage, right? That is exactly the kind of thinking that Jesus is combating by saying, look, you don't know. And the truth is, he could come at any time. And certainly in this context, Jesus is talking about his, his return globally, uh, his return to the earth when, uh, as he said in the previous passage we looked at, that it will be visible to all. That's what he's talking about. But, but it has application even for us on a personal level. The truth is, none of us knows when Jesus is coming for you. <laughs> none of us knows when Jesus is coming for me. Like, maybe the world has more time, but how much time do you know you have? Well, the truth is, we do not know, right? The truth is, uh, the end could come for us at any moment. Jesus could come for us at any moment. And so... Uh, Jesus is urging his disciples, be prepared by making sure you're making today count. Like making sure you're living in a way that if Jesus came back today, you would be thrilled to see him and you would not be ashamed to stand before him and give an account for your life today. Right? That you are being faithful. And it doesn't necessarily mean that we go out and we have to evangelize the whole world today. Right? We're to be obedient to the things God has called you to. Right? The people that God has called you to take care of. And the point here is, is uh, not that we're saving the world, but that we're pushing away our own uh, selfish nature, our own desires to, to take care of me, and to be focusing on living for God by serving and loving and caring for others. Uh, Jesus, uh, if I could sum it up in one phrase, Jesus is saying, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Right? The, the time could be coming to an end soon. What are you waiting for? Right? Are you making the most of your life today for Christ? 
That is the faithful service. And the good news is there are eternal consequences, both good and bad. And if you are pouring your life out for God today, uh, God notices and, and uh, he will reward that with greater uh, care over even more things. Uh, and it's an indication that in eternity, we're not just going to be sitting around twiddling our thumbs. Uh, we will have opportunities for even greater responsibility in his kingdom. Uh, but the, the alternative is to be cut in pieces and put in place with the hypocrites. It's a picture of those who are pretending to be Christians, who are pretending to be godly, but their lives are consumed with selfishness and they are not caring for others. And they are not living expectantly, uh, waiting for Jesus' return. Right? And uh, there are some who, uh, who are not true followers of Christ, and they will be... Uh, very unprepared, as in the days of Noah, when God's judgment comes and sweeps them away. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we uh, acknowledge um, your lordship over all of time, over the past and over the future. And Lord, forgive us where we uh, where we, for the wrong reasons, want to know the future because we want control, because we want to be God, because we want to uh, change the course of the future. But Lord, help us to, to uh, submit to, to your lordship over those things. But at the same time, help us to be uh, diligent and prepared. Lord, help us to live expectantly in the light of your soon and imminent return that because we don't know and because we can't figure it out, we need to live as though Jesus' return, your return, is, is today, is tomorrow, is, is, is coming soon. Uh, Lord, help us not be lazy or procrastinate what we know you're calling us to do uh, because we think we have time. And Lord, we pray that you would forgive us where we where we put things off that you're calling us to, where we put off uh, making peace with that friend who uh, we have a relationship, a strained relationship with, uh, because we think we have time. Uh, forgive us for not making things right today uh, in our relationship with you, because we think we have time. Forgive us for not dealing with those bad habits in our life, that are keeping us from truly living a godly, holy life because we think we have time. Lord, forgive us. And help us, Lord, to truly turn away from those things. And by your Spirit, really have this sense of urgency about our life. Uh, a sense of urgency about uh, the shortness of time. Uh, the brief number of days we have before you return and before we will give an answer. And Lord, give us also the hope that when our, our life is over, that if we have been faithful and we have served you well, that you will reward and bless us in ways we can't even imagine. Lord, may that be the great hope that moves us and motivates us day by day to be faithful and to endure uh, the hard times, the times of waiting the times of waiting for your return, that we would be faithful 
We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.